How many, how many of you in here can actually say that when you were all your life, you had the, the Lord chasing after you? I mean, was, no matter where you went, now, maybe you were born into Christianity, maybe you have always been a Christian pretty much to your known uh, laughing way, but how many of you really, everywhere you went, everything you've done, you feel like the Lord was chasing after you? Man, amazing, isn't it? Amazing. Reason I said what I uh, did a while ago is it's not common that I say things like speak out in faith and proclaim things. My wife is so much better at it than I am. But this morning I'm going to be speaking a message about proclaiming something and saying something and speaking some things into existence. And, and uh, I know that I may not be gearing you up toward a, uh, a, real faith, a real faith movement or something, but there's some principles that we need to really apply to our life and really think about. And one of them is thinking bigger and expecting more. I haven't preached a message like this in oh, months. It's thinking bigger, expecting more. What do you expect? If I'm going to ask some random people here, what are you expecting in your life? So you better be thinking real fast. What am I expecting in my life? Don't be looking down. I can look right at the top of your head and know who you are. What are you expecting? Are you expecting? Are you, are you thinking bigger? Are you thinking more? And you're going to find this is very uh, biblical. Now you got me looking down. Dave, what are you expecting? Amen. Amen. Mike Gerald, what are you expecting? Very good. Glenn, what are you expecting? Glenn, what are you expecting? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. Hallelujah. Expecting. Something you dwell on, something you wish would come to pass that maybe hasn't happened yet, but you're thinking about it. And thinking bigger. Thinking bigger isn't something that necessarily comes to all of us. It didn't come to me very naturally. And, um, but when we think bigger, well, let me ask you this. What if God thought like you think? What if God thought like you think? What would you say? Be in, be in trouble. What if God thinks the way you think? If God was concerned just about the things that you get concerned about, where you're going to eat after church. Hope he's done by noon as we get out the door and rush. I want to tell you, just because I leave the platform doesn't mean the church is over yet, all right? Uh, the things we're concerned about, we get all tore up about. And Is that really, could you imagine if God really acted that way, if he responded that way? Think bigger. Expect more. I'm going to speak on much more tonight, today, and uh, use a lot of scripture emphasis that, that people were in situations that they made a, a hasty decision. It cost, it cost them a lot and, and prevented them from receiving much more. 
Anticipate the way God anticipates. Our next steps grow in our ability to see what God sees. And I think about, I'm going to use my father because I knew him my whole life until he passed away. But uh, my dad was always thinking bigger than his family. Every time I would, I would be around him, there would be one person that thought differently. Uh, my grandma and, grand, and grandpa were great people, and they were people of faith and, and things, but they were very limited in their thinking. And I don't mean in their liberal thinking. I mean in their expectation of themselves, what they could see themselves doing. Nothing meant a lot to them as far as things you have. And they just never really were ambitious about going and thinking and, and planning and making plans and, and doing things better for the family. And they had a legal, had, had a uh, responsibility at home that my dad didn't have. But my father had to start this when he was young. He was a unique man. Every one of you would absolutely loved him. He just, I just wish he was here. But unique abilities that he had to think. My dad grew up in home. I've told this story a little bit in the past, but he had to separate himself a little bit from his family. He had three brothers that were retarded, mentally retarded, and I don't say it loosely, and I'm not saying it derogatory, but, but they were Rex, Ralph, and F.D., Forster Dewey. That's what they were. And my dad was dear to them. My dad took care of them. But he also knew the importance of getting away from them. From when he was a young boy, he would go up in the hills right behind their house. They lived a little mountain range called Little Raccoon Mountain. He would go up there, and he took me up there, and he showed me this big rock. He used to take all of his schoolwork just to get away from the house and think differently, where it was quiet, where he could think and, 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 and dream and have aspirations and, have, and hope, hopes of what the future would have. And he would go up there, and he would spread his books out. He would sit there. I don't know what kind of things he had to write with or anything, but he would just sit there in the quiet. And he would begin to think, I'm going to go live the way my parents have lived. I'm going to go live the way my parents have lived. Nothing wrong with how they lived. But he left. Left home. He got married when he was 19. My mom was a whopping 15. That is not a hint to anybody in here if you're thinking about that and you're young. Don't, don't do that. But, but he got married and all the responsibilities of life came with that. But he was always thinking differently. He was always thinking about the future and about, about what he had planned and what he wanted to do with his life. And, and he was really goal-oriented. He really was. And he probably would have achieved a lot of things. But the preparation when he was young all the way through high school was preparing him to make a decision that would change his life forever. When he's 27 years old, my dad had a problem with, with a foul mouth, and, and he was a, had ESPN. When he was little, he would have been a junkie, ESPN, you know, he was sports, a fantasy. These guys who can't play football, they play fantasy f football. And, and my dad would have liked fantasy football, and, and I don't know, just how he was. But when he was 27 years old, it's when he came, it was living in Knoxville, Tennessee, and one day he came home, and he told my mom, he said, Martha, get the boys in the car. We're, gonna, we're going home. She goes, okay. She didn't know why, but he just said, we're going home for the weekend. So load us up in the car. And, and it's typical. I got in a little bitty hiding place back here in the Volkswagen. My brother's in the back seat, mom and dad. We went up to, um, to my um, grandma Whitson's house and let my mom out, me and my brother. And all three of us went, and my dad left. Mom didn't know what was going on. She didn't know if it was something bad. She didn't know what was going on. But he went down to his mom and dad's church, and this is a little bitty church, country church, 
um, uh, I say this with respect, but they would, uh, the men sat on the one side, women sat on the other. The men could talk. You better not on this side. And uh, they had an amen corner. They had benches right over here that some men would sit on. That was the, that was the deacon's bench. And it was just old, old-time church. <clears throat> but the reason my dad went home was he knew they had church on Friday nights. And he was miserable. He went to church that night, and he went to the altar. I don't know all that went on. I don't know all the details, but I know this. His thinking was still the same to a point, but it all changed. It reminds me of when Jesus said to Peter, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. At that point, my dad became a fishers of men. Never the same. He never lived, never ever lived like my grandma and my grandpa. We had a lot of things and things in life, and he provided. It made my dad feel so good when he could provide things for us as kids. But one thing that he kept true to his heart was the things that his mom and dad had told him about the Lord. Psalms 37, 23 says, the ways of the Lord are what? Can you, can you put that up, Misty? So, Psalms 37. I'll just look it up. Someone look it up and read our King James Version, if you would. King James, Psalms 37. The Lord has established the ways of a man. And my father, that was, was, the, that was the, the way it was. He was established. His thinking, his, his ways of going was, was established. And this is the thing I was wanting to make clear about that. It takes time for, to prepare your heart to receive and trust in his goodness uh, and his resources. Look in Second uh, Chronicles in chapter 25. As uh, Amaziah was a, uh, the king of Judah, and he was uh, surrounded by his enemies. He was 25. He had just become king, and he was having his first battle, and he was preparing for it, and, and he had all these things going on in his mind, and, and he was trying to prepare, how, to, how do I take on so many, the Ammonites and different ones that were around him? And so he goes, well, I'll just call Israel. Sent message, messengers to Israel. He hired a, sent 100,000 men to come and, and join him in this battle so he could overtake the Ammonites. Verse 25, chapter 25, verse 5. Amaziah gathered together the people of Judah. He grouped all the people of Judah and Benjamin by families, and he put commanders over the groups of a thousand, over groups of a hundred. And he counted the men who were 20 years and older, and all the, and 300,000 soldiers were ready to fight and skilled with spears and shields. And Amaziah also hired 100,000 soldiers for 75 pounds of silver. But a man of God came to Amaziah and said, my king, don't let the army of Israel go with you. The Lord is not with Israel or the people from the tribe of Ephraim. You can make yourself strong for war, but God will defeat you. He has the powers to help you or defeat you. And Amaziah said, man of God, but what about the 75 pounds of silver I have already paid the Israelite army? And I want to stop there for, if you just stay there with me. 
Amaziah was trying to look for resources to, to support him without ever going to the Lord and asking him for help. He did what was natural. He bought somebody, he bought some mercenaries, if you will, and they were going to go and fight. But the man of God went to him and said, before you go doing all these things with other people, take those that you have that are anointed. Take those that God is with. We don't think bigger. We think we don't have enough. In your situation, you don't think that you have enough, and many times you don't think bigger. And that's where he was, and, and it was keeping him at the hands of everybody else and the mercy of everyone else. But God is for us, and so who can be against us? Verse 9, and Amaziah said to, God, to the man of God, but what about the 7,500 pounds of silver I paid to the Israelite army? Let me ask you, ask you a question. Many times we make hasty decisions, we hire people, and we do things that we regret. That was money lost. But it's better to go into war and be with God's blessing than go into war with, with the God's curses on you. With or without them, without all the silver they've just given them, it's better to go in there with confidence knowing you, that God's with you than going over there with extra men and not having the blessings of the Lord. But look at this next verse, in the next, last part of verse 9. The man of God answered, the Lord can give you much more than that. I, thought, I was thinking about us, how we don't think about it. We don't think bigger. We don't expect more. And we was in that, if I was in this situation, I would probably have been just like him. If I hadn't went to prayer and hadn't had somebody come and give me advice, how much more can God give us than we, than we ever expect? What do we look for a way out. We trust somebody else. How many of us depend on how many of us depend on us who are without trusting God and who he says he is? Go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I appointed you king of Israel and saved you from Saul. And I've given you his kingdom and his wives and have given you, have made you king over Israel. So why did you, oh, king of Israel and more. Let me go back again. And made you king of Israel and Judah. And if not, that had not been enough, I would have given you even more. I would have given you even more. I wonder how many of us at times have, have compromised in our lives and we could have had so much more. We could get become so much more and we could see so much more, but we don't believe. Or just as David, we'll have other things to come in and catch our eye. What have you and I violated in our integrity? What have you and I violated in our integrity? Because that's what David had done. He was someone who was so respected and someone who was so, well, we know that he was a man after God's own heart and that God wanted to honor him. What have you violated? For, boy, 
What have you and I violated in integrity for? We've compromised for, exchanged so much, so much for that God had in store for us. Instead of finding that flat rock to hear his voice, I think about so many times, you think about your life and what's going on. How many things are we compromising, we lowering our, our standards on just to accommodate us right then without expecting more from God? We live in such a day of compromise that our integrity is, it's really not considered very much anymore. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. You know, the same thing applies to the prodigal son. He took what he had got coming and took and he squandered it and lived his life and he did what he wanted to do. And I don't know about the conversations that he had with his father when he came home, but his dad may have put his arm around him and said, oh, son, I had so much more in store for you. So much more in store for you if you would have just stayed here. If you'd have listened to my teaching, if you'd listened to my instruction, there was so much more for you. And I wonder how many of us in this room, no, don't, don't get mistaken in what so much more is. Often we think it means more money in the bank or more money in a situation or, or in a pocket. But so much more from God is so much different than that. You see, you've heard me say this before, but I'll tell you, my father was, his desire, his, his desire was to be a millionaire. He just was. He wanted to prove to everybody back home that Marvin Hensley, he may have come from a family that had some mental retardation in it, but he was going to prove that he wasn't. And he was wealthy. And he could prove that he was wealthy and what he drove and what he had. But when he was 27 years old, he finally came to a realization that wasn't important because God had, because God had so much more in store for him in his life. He only lived 21, 21 more years after that. He was 48 years old. But there was so much more he had got to experience in life with joy in his heart than pursuing it like a madman until he was 27. And the same is true for you. You need to go back, spend some time alone, and go to that flat rock up on the hill and spend some time in prayer. Lord, what do you really want? Is this what you have for me? Is this what you want to do in my life? Or is there something bigger? Is there something greater than this? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. With God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything we ever ask. Or imagine, what is much more in your life? Is it just living another week, getting another paycheck, 
I want you to ask yourself a question. And this is something that everybody has to participate in. But I want you to ask yourself a question. What is something that you would like to see God do in your life? What is something you would like to see God work in or do in your life, in your marriage, in your health, in your future, in your retirement, in your direction, in your money, in your relationships, everything? You got, you got the question answered? You got it? Everybody, nod your head if you've got a question in your mind. Come on. Come on, help me. Make me feel a little bit better anyway. Amy's got a question. A few people are t- participating. You've got a question in your mind. And you want to ask God to work in it. How many of you all believe your faith would be elevated if you got an answer to that question? Wouldn't you? What if I told you you still didn't ask enough? You didn't ask for enough. Because Ephesians 3 up here, Ephesians 3 says, King James Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or we can think. According to the power that worketh in us. Anything above and beyond. We all have have, have questions and and things we like to pray about. I had someone uh, message me, Jason Madison, I was talking to him this past week, and he asked me how my kids were, and I said, man, you know what? It's it's unusual for me and, and my family that I could say, Man, all my kids are good. They're all making money, and, and they're all serving the Lord, and, and, and it's just good. And he said, and I said, that's a hard thing to say. And he goes, what do you mean it's a hard thing to say? It's because, because it's never been before, except for when they were tiny. But what an answer to prayer. That's a greater thing to me than, than me giving them lots of things and them doing lots of other things. The fact that all three of them are doing the right thing It's worth tons. Guys, come back. I'm gonna close with one more scripture. Let me just say this to you. Uh, It's more than we can ask or think because it's what? It's supernatural. How many of you ever heard of Sid Roth? Yeah. Anybody ever watched Sid Roth, Supernatural? What is supernatural? What does that mean? Supernatural, what does it mean? Okay, let me break it in for you. It's super. We are, every one of us are, no, every one of us are natural. But when you put this with it, it's really great natural. It's supernatural. So we believe God for the supernatural. Go to Ezekiel chapter 37. This is the last one, I promise. Stay with me. I'd like for everybody to stay where you are here and don't leave until, until we're closing the prayer. And Kevin misses us in prayer. And uh, how many of you ever had valley experiences? How many of you ever had multiples? I'm just having, I get them all up. I can't get them all. It's, it's terrible. I've had a lot of emotional downtimes in my life. I heard someone say this this past week. Uh, there are no fruit trees 
on the very, I'm not talking about hills, I'm talking about mountains. Out in Colorado, Bill, you've got Colorado, used two years ago, you and uh, Donnie over here. You never, never did see apple trees on top of the mountains, did you? Where were the apple trees and the pear trees and the, on all the stuff you could eat were down in the valleys, weren't they? It's amazing what you can find in the valleys. A lot of times we think it's bad, but man, it's time in the valleys, it's when a fruit begins to grow. It's when we're in the valleys that we begin to display fruit and, and there's things growing in our lives. Regardless of what, what we're, kind of valley we're in, maybe it's really dark in a lot of situations, but it's, it's seeing the faithfulness of God. I want to go to Ezekiel chapter 37. It says, I felt the power of God on me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and he put me down in the middle of a valley. And it was full of bones. And he led me around the bones. And I say that there are many bones in the valley and that they were very dry. Then he asked me, human, can these bones live? Human, human, can you, these bones live? Oh, he was smart. He said, Lord, you have known. Know if they can live. Because if you ask me, if there's a pile of bones there, I would say, no, they're dead as, a, dead as they can be. But he said, no. Lord, you know. And the Lord, the Lord, and I answered, Lord, only you know. And he said unto me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to go up to my notes here. Valley, low-lying place, it's alone, it's usually representative of dark times. And the valley of dry bones, what was it? It was a place of, not promise, a place of a past blessing. Where people used to be blessed, and there was an abundance maybe in the past. But this particular time, they were, they were destitute. Not looking to a promise. Nothing too promising. A place of the dead. And he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to you bones. I will cause breath to enter into you to come to life. And I will put muscles on you and flesh on you and cover you with skin. Then I will breathe into you so that you will come to life. Then you will know that I am God. So I prophesied what I was commanded. While I prophesied, there was a noise and a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and I saw muscles come on the bones, and flesh, and flesh grew, and skin covered the bones, but there was no life in them. And every one of us, we may have a lot of doubts. Maybe you've been in the valley and maybe you see a lot of valley experiences. Maybe things have been dark and very heavy. If you do not learn when you are praying and when you are alone to speak better things, expect better things, say better things, you will begin to consume your own self by what you say. You begin to say, oh, I'm so lost. I'm so desperate. I'm so needy. I'm so broke. I'm so unhealthy. I'm all these things that I am that before long you will totally believe it and the supernatural that could take you out of that is a very natural that takes you back into that place of depression. Verse 11 and 12. I'm going to read that then I'm going to close. Then he said to me, human, these bones are like the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We're destroyed. So prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. My people, I will open your graves and will cause you to come up out of your graves. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. 
I can bow your heads with me. Are you sick of living in the valley? You die just a little bit more every day, a little more discouraged, a little more depressed. living like always in the past and always living in the, the valley of dry bones. I'm speaking to you. My per- grandparents were, they, they lived because of the product of the family situation. And they were believers, but they never experienced more because they never spoke about it. They never expected anymore. If you're lost this morning, you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. He's not the Lord of your life. Everything else has become before Him. You see, He's not a God that you surrender to the Lord and you give your heart to Jesus and He takes everything from you. No, you come to this altar you take everything you have and you place on it. You place your wallet and you place your keys and you place your pictures of your kids, everything on the altar. You say, Father, I'm sorry. I know I failed. I'm a sinner. And I've never lived in your supernatural grace. I've never understood you. I give it all to you and I give you my life. And after you give him your life, he says, okay, you can have your keys back and your, and your kids back and your money back. If that's you, this... This appeal is to you this morning. Would you step out and come to an altar, to the place of repentance? Would you come? If you're not a Christian this morning, maybe you go to church, but you're not. And then let's go to the Christians for just a minute, the believers. We say we believe, but do we? So much of the opposite comes out of our mouth. It's not faith. If you're here, then you've got nothing but negativity that comes out of your mouth. You know it. Everybody around you knows it. You need to come to the altar too. You need to get some things straight with God. <laughs> 